I know when I was a uh, lead pastor uh, over a local church, that was my, one of my most favorite times in the service. And we didn't do the, you know, just the complimentary shake a hand. It was like, take some time, hug a person, high five them, get to know them. It was great. My ultimate favorite time back in the olden days was hearing Bible pages change and flip when we opened our Bibles. Hey, um, it has been fantastic being with you, and um, I want to tell you a little bit about something that's coming to have you intercede for the Bay Area and what's coming a year from now. So I told you I work with a ministry called Transforming the Bay with Christ, and it's a city gospel network. Uh, We have 45 sub-networks, regional networks that meet all over. The Bay Area is 200 miles long, over 50 miles wide. It's a lot. And... We've got some 500 churches that are coming together in unity in ways never before. And we've been praying about how do we equip the church with evangelism. And we just think this is a time that's ripe to make the good news good again. Uh, That the church uh, has been co-opted through the headlines with things that are bad news and Christians sometimes get a bad rap. Uh, And so we were praying about something. We're bringing something a year from now called Explore God. And we're working behind the scenes right now. Here's the, in a, in a minute, here's what it is. We are going to canvas the Bay Area with digital and print advertising. Uh, on the way up, I was talking to uh, the company that's doing this for us, the advertising. They're promising 85% of Bay Area residents will hear about Explore God multiple times. Uh, and that's over 9 million people. Uh, And then we're putting up a website that is a portal of good news, that has stories about good news. And then we are working on the seven big questions of life. Why am I here? Is there a God? Why is there so much injustice and suffering if there is a God? What is the purpose of life? What's the purpose of the Bible? Those big questions. And we're making small group material. That's what it really it, it's based on. People like you leveraging your relationships and in unexpected places, in unexpected ways, in your places of work, in your, um, in your local meeting houses, in your own house, gathering people in these groups, Christians and pre-believers, as we call them, not to give them the answers, but to raise the questions and let the Holy Spirit take it from there. And they get this, over 300 churches preaching through the same message series at the same time so that everyone can walk to a local place and hear good news. Um, Our goal is that uh, we see, uh, like never before, in an unprecedented way, the gospel invade the Bay Area. Ours is the largest urban region that's never been touched by an awakening in America, in the history of America. And we just think it's time. Uh, And so we're working behind the scenes, um, and I want you to see a video. This is taking place in Austin. It's taking place in Miami. It's taking place in Chicago. We're going to be doing it here in the Bay Area. As you watch this video, pray. I'll give you a website. Some of you are Bay Area churches. You can tell your pastor about it so that they can be a part of this too. As people see these digital and print ads, uh, and when they go to the website, I don't know how this works, the technology, but little hamsters in the atmosphere, in the, in the computers, um, wherever they are, it geotracks them and sends them to the local churches that are doing Explore God. It's just amazing, this time that we live in. So watch this, pray, this is Explore God. Let's go. It all starts September 14th of next year, goes till November 12th. 
we feel like as a team we are fighting outside our weight class, but we would have it no other way. We need the power of God to meet us, and I need your prayers in that. If you are part of a Bay Area church, exploregod.com forward slash Bay Area is up in line for churches to sign up and get more information. Will you pray for us for that? Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this time, and thank you for, oh, it's been such a rich weekend. It's been so good, and we believe in these next 25 minutes that you have more good for us. So would you speak to our hearts now? Again, Jesus, I thank you how vividly you have been displayed in the book of Ruth, and we're trusting you again in chapter 4 to just appear, because we know when we lift you up, we'll be drawn to you. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have noticed the rope behind me. This is something I call, uh, and maybe others do too, the timeline of eternity. Imagine this is eternity. This is eternity past. This is eternity future. And this tape is the line of life. This is when God said in Genesis 1, let there be life. This is the return of Jesus Christ that we sung about when he comes back and ushers in a new heaven and a new earth. Jojo and I were walking, this, you know, I think 1999 was the first time I came up to Hume Lake. Seeing that mountain and seeing that vista just blew my mind. I said, Jojo, we're seeing that in a sin-cursed world. Imagine the new earth when, that is, and when sin is completely taken out of creation, how amazing that will be. This is eternity future. Puts life in perspective, doesn't it? Let's zoom in on the timeline of life. This is your birth. This is your death. And what you do on the tape influences eternity. Not just for you, but for your friends, girls. For your colleagues, my brothers. The way we live, we don't have to do anything for God. The ministry I work with isn't called transforming the bay for Christ because Jesus doesn't need us. We're transforming the bay with Christ because he's allowing us to get in on the family business of restoring, restoring, redeeming, renewing broken lives for all eternity. And because people aren't flocking to the church, we get to go to them. And Jesus shows up through us in unexpected places, in unexpected ways. The way that uh, people are meeting Christ is not just through Hume Lake, and it's an amazing ministry. I would, I would just put my wholehearted stamp of approval behind uh, resourcing, if God puts it on your heart, Hume Lake. Uh, you, will, you will come at this point, live here, and, and you're giving to your local church, you're giving to Hume Lake, someone will find you and say, I've been looking for you in eternity. Why are you looking for me? I'm here because of you. What do you mean? You invested at Hume? I was a snotty-nosed high school kid. I gave my life to Christ. And now that we're here, I ask Jesus, show me everyone that gave to Hume Lake. I'm going to spend eternity thanking them. Because of them, I'm here. The way we live impacts this. Right? Last night we talked about and we saw in the video of Hume, decisions we make for Christ or to not receive Christ impacts eternity. What we live on the line matters for forever. Right now matters for forever. 
And we're going to see in chapter 4 something that Ruth and Boaz and Naomi had no, and Elimelech even, had no idea. They didn't have this perspective. We get it. We get the God perspective. We zoom out in chapter 4, and we get to see eternity past, I'm sorry, eternity time in the future that they never saw. Let's look at it. Ruth chapter 4, verse 1. Here we go. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate. Remember last night we left him? Uh, Ruth was going back home. It was barley season, harvest season. Boaz was said, I'll, I'll take care of this. I, I, I've got to take care of this. So Ruth and Naomi are at home. Boaz is going to take care of business. He went to the town gate and sat there. In ancient Israel, the town gate, and if you go to Israel, you'll see these. That was the place. It was a, it was a city hall. It was the commerce took place in the town gate. It was the judge and, and um, courts were in the town gate. The town gate was everything. So Boaz knew if this is going to happen, it's going to happen at the town gate. He sits there. When the kinsman redeemer had, he had mentioned came along, all right, um, again, it says, and just then in the Hebrew text, providence. He's sitting at the town gate hoping this guy comes. God providentially brings the closer relative to Ruth along. Why does he need to interact with the closer relative? Because that closer relative, the kinsman redeemer, had the legal right to acquire the land, to marry Ruth, and Boaz, being a man of integrity, has to interact with him. Now, you'll see in chapter 4, that kinsman redeemer, everyone else in the story is named except him. And the commentators say the reason he wasn't named was this. He didn't fight for his family's name, so he didn't deserve a name. The commentator purposely leaves the name out. He, he would have known the name. Um, the, I'm sorry, the, whoever wrote Ruth leaves it out because God didn't want him named because he didn't fight for his family's name. And guys, you don't know how encouraging it is that you're here fighting for the name of Jesus in your family. It's so cool. Uh, I want to call him loser, but I'll be a little bit more refined in that. Let's call him Kinney, kinsman redeemer Kinney, K-I-N-N-Y. Okay, Kinney was legally obligated and spiritually obligated to take care of this family, especially Naomi and Ruth. Given the size of Bethlehem, he would have known about their situation. But for whatever reason, he was doing what was right in his own eyes. And the impact of his decision were leaving two women destitute, hungry, starving. What we do matters. Kenny didn't do anything necessarily wrong. He just didn't do anything. He was a passive man with the responsibilities God gave him. Verse 2, God, uh, Boaz took ten of the elders to the town and said, sit here. And now they did. So they did. Then he said to the kinsman redeemer, Naomi has come back from Moab. She's selling a piece of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of those seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. I would have never done it this way. The integrity he displays is amazing. He's totally trusting God, laying out the facts. He doesn't need to shade the truth. He's just saying, here's what we're dealing with. And if you redeem it, do so. But if you won't, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I'm the next in line. Look at these next, look at that last line. 
I'll redeem it, he said. Now, forget you know the story. Pretend you're reading it for the first time. You've fallen in love with this uh, Boaz guy, right? You want them to be together. At this point, I'm jumping out of my seat going, no, no, it can't happen that way. Don't write the story that way. At which point, Boaz is looking at me saying, calm down, calm down, because he knows I'm a man of standing. Have you forgotten? I'm skilled in the art of war, and I have high integrity. I know what I'm doing. The book of Proverbs comes into play here. In Proverbs 10, verse 9, the first part of it says, look at this. The man of integrity, and, and girls, you can put woman in there too. It pertains to you. This is not only for ma uh, males. The man of integrity walks what? Securely. Guys, remember that tomorrow when you go to work. Your integrity provides security. Girls, remember that tomorrow when you go to school. Your integrity provides security. He's not freaking out. I'm freaking out. But he's not freaking out. So Boaz is going, calm down, I got this. Then, verse 5, then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth, the Moabitess, you acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with the property. We call this the art of negotiation. We call this being shrewd. Now let me ask you a question. Shrewd, does that bring about positive or negative ramifications for you? When I say shrewd, do you think that's positive or negative? Yeah, dictionary.com defines shrewd as this, characterized by a keen awareness a sharp intelligence, and often a sense of the practical. Let me just say that again. Keen awareness, sharp intelligence, and a sense of the practical. Do you know in Mark, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, Jesus commands us to be shrewd? Not to be ungodly, but to be shrewd. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, to have keen awareness, Boaz knows the land. He knows what's going on. Sharp intelligence in the sense of the practical. So look at verse 5 again in your Bibles. Here's what he says. Okay, you want, to, you want to acquire it? Great. The first thing you get, you get Naomi with the land, the bitter mother-in-law. Imagine buying a house and being told, oh yeah, but there's an ADU in the back with a really bitter woman. She is so angry, she comes with the house. The second thing you get is Ruth. And remember, he uses the term here, not because he labels her, but he knows who Ruth is. Kenny doesn't know who Ruth is. And so he uses her label to his advantage. The Moabite, he says. Wink, wink. And a widowed one at that. And the kicker, you have to produce a child. How are your diaper changing skills, Kenny? Because that comes with the house too. That's being shrewd. So important. You know, um, I remember when uh, we moved to seminary. Uh, I was four years a youth pastor. Felt like God had called me to seminary. And God did amazing things to make that happen. Um, we were going all the way to Chicago to a seminary called Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. And um, in Chicago, we were just trusting God because I had gotten a full grant to go to seminary. And uh, we didn't have a lot of money, but we were trusting God for our living. We had one daughter at the time. And so uh, my buddy John was a year ahead of me in seminary. And I said, would you look for a house? Because Ann was praying for a house for us to rent. 
And John just laughed. He said, no one gets a house in seminary. I said, I know, but my wife is praying for one. And when my wife prays, whoa, okay? So um, like a week later, it's May. John calls me and says, you will not believe this, but a 1,000-square-foot house came up in Highwood. Highwood was the Italian district right near the seminary. And I'm like, really? He's like, here's the, here's the problem, though. He wants to rent it in June. We weren't coming out till September, and I couldn't afford that. I was a youth pastor, and I'm like, we can't do it. What's the, what's the owner's name? He said, Dino Caselli. I'm like, Caselli. I'm like, did you tell him my name? He's like, I didn't. I'm like, don't. Don't tell him my name. Just tell him you know somebody that wants to rent the house. I'll call Dino. So I'm praying about this. An Italian knows an Italian. So I called Dino, and I said, Dino, this is Gary. And I said, we would love to rent your house. He wanted to rent the seminarians because we take care of the house. It's a three-year rental. It's a good win for him. He's like, I can't rent it to you in September. I need the money. I need to have it in, in May. I'm like, well, Dino, we can't do it in May. We're good renters. I'll give you good references. He's like, I got to have it in May. I've got 10 people lined up behind you. If you can't rent it, they will. I'm like, okay, I get it. Let me give you my name and my number. And if you don't work, it doesn't work out, call me. He's like, okay. So it says, Gary Gadini. Gadini, is that Italian? I'm like, 100%. Northern, Southern. I'm like, I'm half Tuscan, half Sicilian. He's like, I'll rent it to you. To which in my head I said, I know you would. I knew you would. Um, that's just being shrewd. I didn't lack integrity. I just let out the information in the opportune time. This is what Boaz is doing. He's not breaching integrity. He's just being spiritually intelligent. I think sometimes as followers of Christ, we lack this trait to our detriment. At this, the kinsman redeemer said, I can't redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. Deal off, he says. This guy is so self-centered, his true colors come out. Uh, the end of Proverbs 10, 9 says this. Remember, the man of integrity lacks security, but, those who, but he who takes crooked paths will be found out. Your true colors display themselves at some point. And then Boaz announces to the elders and all the people, this is so important, everybody, today your witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I've also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from my family or from the town records. Today, your witnesses, and in that speech, Boaz is giving one of the most beautiful aspects of marriage. Husbands, leave in, lean in. Girls, lean in too. One of the most beautiful aspects of God's marriage is this. And, I, and I've married tons of people. I see this all the time in Christ. God bringing two people together who are broken to be mirrors of God's love and acceptance before them so that when they look in the mirror of their husband or look in the mirror of the countenance of their wife, they are seeing who they can be as husband and wife. And their brokenness is being healed in Jesus' name. Boaz is saying, three men broke these two women. And today, as God is my witness, I'm standing up in God's name to repair the brokenness. 
I'm putting my life on the line. I'm putting my resources on the line. I'm putting everything on the line, committing to life that Jesus through me will love Ruth in such a way that the way that she had been used and mishandled in her past by men will be restoried and repurposed for a whole new experience in the future. That's why God has Christian marriage on the map. It's so important. Then the elders and all those at the gate said, we're witnesses. And here's the last prayer of the book of Ruth. We're witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who's coming in your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you have the standing of Ephrathah and become famous in Bethlehem. All these have been answered, right? And by the way, Ruth went from a, a despised woman in chapter 1 on Friday night Rachel and Leah were the two top matriarchs of their day, in that day in Israel. And they're saying, may she become greater than Rachel and Leah. And thousands, 3,500 years later, across the globe, for a weekend, is a group, 300 and something of us, studying her life now. I think she's become pretty great. And may he become famous in Bethlehem, not only to become famous in Bethlehem, Boaz has become famous all over the world. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like Perez, whom Tamar, Tamar bore to Judah. Now stick with me. The most important and best part of the book is about to come in our closing minutes. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Then he went to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive. Remember before, 10 years, infertility? Seems like this is a honeymoon conception. She gives birth to a son. And then the women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who has, this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout all of Israel. In other words, may your son be famous throughout this whole country. Then they prophesied over her life. He's going to renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you is better to you in Israel at that day. Seven sons was a perfect family. I've got five daughters. I feel like I've got the perfect family there. My starting five, I love them. And I, I wouldn't want it any other way. But in Israel, seven sons, you are like anointed of God. And look what they say because of Ruth. She is better to you than seven sons. Take perfection and bring it up a notch. And because of that woman, who we've seen be so transformed through the power of God, the power of one, you have it better than having seven sons. In other words, Naomi, your story has been redeemed. You've been restored. You've been renewed. You've been restoried in Christ. And ladies, that's what Jesus wants to do in you. Guys, that's what God wants to do through us. Ruth started with a woman uh, mourning because of the actions of men, and it ends with women rejoicing because of the actions of one man. Guys, let's be that man. And now, if, there, if I were to like, be a producer, I would have the camera panning out, and Ruth is holding, I'm sorry, Naomi is holding this baby and just doing snorfuls on his tummy and just going, What a good God! And the story ends. But it doesn't end there. Suddenly, we get the perspective that God does. 
on our lives. See, Ruth and Boaz and Naomi and Elimelech and all those people, Kenny, they only saw life on the line. They only saw life in the present. We can look back at the past and we can look through a glass dimly, as Scripture says, into the future. But God sees the whole thing at once. God has seen that point that Jojo and I were talking about when we're back at Hume Lake in the coming kingdom, and it's all restored. God has seen my life 20 years from now, if I have 20 years. God's seen your life tomorrow. And so God providentially can put things in our life today because he knows I've got to do this today to prepare them for what's coming in this day. Does that make sense, everybody? So Ruth and Naomi and Kinney and, and Boaz, they just saw that the book ends, but the book doesn't end there. Let's pick it up in these final verses that seem like throwaway verses. Verse 17, the women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of, that would be King David. And 25 begots later, 25 pregnancies later, a little baby was born in the house of bread, Bethlehem, to a virgin named Mary, who was married to Joseph. And in his line, if you want to read it, Matthew 1, 16, his great, 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 stick with me. Great, 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 grandmother, Ruth. It's the ripple effect of one life. You have no idea, and they had no idea when Ruth and Boaz were interacting, how much their obedience would cause a ripple effect down the road. Elimelech had no idea how much his disobedience forfeited his opportunity to join God in doing something so great that down the road would come the birth of the Savior of the world. I want to close with this, and we're going to land the plane. Girls, I imagine a week from now you're going to be flying high on the adrenaline from this mountain high. But there's going to come a time when obedience is going to be challenging. Just like there was a time with Ruth. Do I stay in, uh, in Moab or do I go with Naomi? Do I go and glean or do I stay home? In the middle of the night, do I honor God with who I am when uh, I could cross his boundaries or do I stay pure? She chose obedience and you're seeing the ripple effect of that. You will never Regret stands in decisions of obedience in God's word. Remember, his boundaries are to protect you, to provide for you, and to use your life in huge ways long after you're gone. So that if this is your life, we don't know, that's up to God, but if this is your life, your act of obedience will impact generations down the road long after you're gone. It's such a motive to live for Jesus. And I say, as my last statement, you do have what it takes to live for him. God has outfitted you with everything you need to live for him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. 
oh, I'm so grateful for your word. I'm so grateful that we get this glimpse. Give us the faith to believe that our life could have the same ripple effect. That our acts of obedience, yeah, we're, you know, thank you, Jesus came. We're not going to bring the Savior in the world through our obedience. But, Lord, we're going to impact lives to prepare for the Savior to come back and usher in the coming kingdom. So that in unexpected places, in unexpected ways, let us be grounded in you and show up through us to influence people for you. I pray a blessing over my sisters and my brothers. I pray a blessing over the dads. Give them strength to be grounded in their identity in you and to love those precious daughters that they're here with. Give them an eternal perspective. I pray blessing on the daughters. Give them a heart to follow hard after you for their generation. May they be the warriors that are desperately needed for their generation. Shower them with your love. Reveal your love to them. Flow through them and love others through them. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.